Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's April 25th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jim Swift and Michael Warren of the Weekly Standard. Uh, Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having us. I want to give a shout out uh, for something that's happening here in my home state of Wisconsin. This is coming up on uh, Monday. So if you happen to be a cheesehead, the Weekly Standard Midwest Conservative Summit, I think it's going to be an impressive event featuring Governor Scott Walker, uh, Speaker Paul Ryan, um, a number of the staffers of the Weekly Standard are flying out, John McCormick, Haley Byrd, Michael Warren, Stephen Hayes. I'm going to be doing the one-on-one with Governor Scott Walker. Then we're going to have a panel about what it's like to cover the swamp. And Stephen Hayes goes one-on-one with Speaker Paul Ryan. The best part of this event, um, besides that, besides that all-star lineup, is the fact that it is, in fact, free. And you can sign up online. It's Monday, April 30th. We'll run from about 8 to 1 o'clock. And it's at the Fister Hotel in downtown Milwaukee. And I'm really looking forward to that. And... Uh, I know that, Michael, you're probably looking forward to uh, to coming here to the not-quite-so-frozen tundra anymore. Yeah, what's the weather going to be, Charlie? Because uh, It's going to be nice. Good, good. I've never actually been to Wisconsin except for the uh, Milwaukee airport, so where I sat across the uh, way from Senator Herb Cole at a, uh, at a restaurant there. So I'm excited to actually get out into real Wisconsin. It's kind of exciting ever having a Herb Cole sighting. Uh, he's, he's, he's such a live wire. <laughs> In any case, look, I, we, we have to talk about the Ronnie Jackson story. We have to talk about, uh, you know, Mulvaney's comments about lobbyists and all the other stories. But but I have to talk about, you know, I want to talk about the incel community. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, which what I assume would be about 99 percent of the listeners, the, the, the guy that drove the van in Toronto, killing 10 people, injuring 15 has been identified as a member of this thing, the in-cell community, which means, well, what? It means uh, involuntarily celibate. I mean, we used to have different words for that, you know, involuntarily a virgin. And look, guys, since we've never heard of it before, it, it's hard to know how to talk about this without being inappropriate. And, and so I'm not going to even try, but I... You know, you're talking about a terrible tragedy. You're talking about people who have been killed. But this is one of those reminders that it's quite frankly, it's hard to keep up with the crazy these days. So first of all, am I the only one that never had heard that who never heard of the term incel and had no idea that there was such a thing as the incel community? Well, these days there's always a community um, because of the Internet. Um, you can always yeah. find yourself uh, whatever your um, strange proclivities or uh, your self-diagnosis uh, or um, e- even just uh, your weird traits, uh, you can find, uh, or personal failings, you can find a group of people who are willing to say, you know, it's not really your problem. In fact, there's a lot of, you know, it's sort of like... Um, uh, from but I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I'm not so old that I don't remember that... If, if you're one of the guys that has never gotten laid, you don't go around <laughs> right. with a sign saying, I have never been laid. But you know what? There's there's a – no, you don't. But you can do it on the internet because you're in many ways anonymous. Um, and actually you can find strength uh, and which counteracts what I think you're you're describing there, Charlie, which is the, the kind of the sense of shame that, that in simpler times and maybe pre-social uh, media and internet times that kind of real communities used to uh, foster. And I think yeah. that this is sort of a way – it reminds me of the um, character Tobias uh, in – 
Arrested Development who uh, is unable to, he's a never nude, he's unable to be fully nude. He, there are dozens of us. There are dozens of us. They, uh, he, he always wears a, a jean shorts even in the shower. So um, it's kind of this weird, uh, that, that was played for last, but I think that this is, this is not on. This is not uncommon in the sense uh, of uh, of finding these weird little communities. But they are communities, and 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 now we need to be concerned about whether or not they might be violent. Um, obviously, they're uh, they they're, they're they're bounded together by their hatred of. And this this all sounds like a parody. I'm sorry. They're, they're bound together by their hatred of the Chads and the Stacys. These are people who actually have sex. They clearly hate women. Here is the tweet. That this guy, and I'm not going to even name him, but this, this guy put out, he's 26 years old. He writes, the incel rebellion has already begun. We will overthrow all the Chads and Stacys. All hail Supreme Gentleman Elliot Roger. Who's Honestly, also a killer, right? Hmm? Isn't Elliot, wasn't Elliot Roger a killer too? Or I... Yes. And that's the other thing is it, you, th- you may think that that's that's a spoof. It's not. He's a guy back in 2014. He shot and killed six people in California. And apparently he's held up as a model uh, for the incel community. You know, that the, these Chads and Stacy's people who actually are doing things that they apparently have never done and assume never will happen to to them. Um, he's he's a hero. And Unfortunately, this guy in Toronto will probably be held up as well. And I, I'm just shaking my head about it because it's it's just, you know, just when you think you've gotten some some handle on just the bizarre insanity of our times, this comes up. You know, the, the Internet has done wonderful things for romance. Um, I, I, I would I would find it hard to believe that nobody listening uh, knows zero people in their life that hasn't met a spouse or partner or a girlfriend or boyfriend at one point online, which is, you know, way different mm-hmm. than what things were like probably when you were younger. And, you know, you were in a small town and, you know, big fish in a small pond or small, you know, small fish in a small pond, that sort of thing. Um, but we have to accept, I mean, not necessarily accept, but understand that with uh, the growth of the internet, there's there's bad that comes with the good, and you know the good enables people to to find people across vast geographic boundaries and differences based on common interests because they're seeking that out. What these guys are seeking out is people like themselves. They've they've already decided declines a choice, and they've decided that uh, everything is futile, and they're going to find people like them. Um, maybe it's a failed you know failed pickup artist or, or something like that. But, um, you know, there, there is bad that comes with the good. And, right. uh, you know, now, now we're seeing it materialize into death on the streets. And But, but here's the question, though. Is, 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 does it just reflect this thing, the stuff that's going on out there, or does it kind of create its own spiral, its own vortex, where a guy, let me just, so this Elliot Rogers, who uploaded a, vid, a video called Elliot Rogers Retribution, where he complained, girls give their affection and sex and love to other men, but never to me. I'm 22 years old, and I'm still a virgin. I've never even kissed a girl. Now, obviously, there are millions of people who might have had that experience, and you know, you would think that they would, what, develop a hobby, get a pet, go into video games, buy lots of comic books, do a variety of other things, you know, do the laundry for their mothers, as opposed to going out and killing people and you wonder whether or not as these guys gin one another up, as they push each other further and further, is it just a – and this is always a, a question we have about the internet and social media. Is it a mirror or is it an accelerant? 
It's a it's a tough question. I I do think that in sort of non you see this in non Western societies as well. You can sort of point to. Um, I, I know there have been studies done about this, and 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 there's obviously anecdotal evidence too of, um, you know, in places like the Middle East where um, uh, there's a lot of sexual repression um, uh, of, of of sexual urges, and there are a lot of young men who um, are are sort of told because of uh, their culture, their religion, you know, to suppress certain urges, and that I think manifests itself in kind of violent action. And you saw this. I, I, I recall was it I believe in Cairo. Um, sort of a, a bunch of young men during the uh, the Arab Spring there, um, kind of uh, a, a attacking a couple of uh, female journalists. Um, uh, what was it? Lara Logan of CBS, I think, was one of them. Um, so, so this is sort of this is kind of a. A, a, a universal uh, uh, manifestation of that kind of sexual frustration in young men. You know, if they uh, if they can't have sex, they get sexually, violent. But yeah, but Michael, I mean, young men have by definition always been sexually frustrated. Yes, and repressed, <laughs> right. I mean, so this is what it's without necessarily but, going out and killing people for this well, well that's why we had wars i guess well, maybe to, to to do this this, this sure of, you know to, to, to let out the juice whatever yeah but i think I, I think what you're seeing the 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 difference here and sort of getting back to your question um is i think that in our culture and in our society the internet has a way of um, sort of reaching out to isolated people. Um, there's so much more isolation because it's because there's this feeling. I think it's I think it's trumped up. It's a, sort of the idea that everybody's out there. You know, every 20 year old is out there having sex. Um, right. You know, is is actually false. It's not. It's not. It's it's sort of like uh, how big your fish is that you caught. Like everybody's lying about it. Um, uh, but the, but, but that the, but that's a factor, isn't it? Yes. Is, is is the fact that if you turn on television in in the, in the popular culture. It looks like everyone is having sex all the time except you. Well, and everyone's and happy I'm... on social media, you know, on Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, p people aren't posting, I'm lonely. I'm, you know, I'm depressed. I'm sad. I mean, sometimes some people. Well, but they, well, they are. They are in other parts of the internet, and that's I think where they find each other, right? Yes. They sort of um, the the what do they call the Chads and the Stacys? Like that's. I mean, this is it's all the sort of concept of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, yeah. and um, mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. weird way that our our online communities again are not real communities. They're not real cultures. They're sort of these fake. Um, and, and, and I mean that for everybody, right? Every every lonely uh, uh, in in cell and, uh, and and every Chad and Stacy, it's all sort of uh, manufactured. Um, but I think it has increased the sense of isolation. And 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 when people feel isolated, they they do crazy things sometimes. There are yeah. lots of sad Chads and sad Stacys too. <laughs> and we'll devote a podcast to them at, at some <laughs> point. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears. Talk about uh, Ronnie Jackson's weird day as you you. As you reported, Michael, what a tumultuous day Tuesday. Um, let's just talk about. I, I have a lot of questions about uh, about this. First of all, um, is 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 Ronnie Jackson as dead as the conventional wisdom suggests his nomination to be the head of the VA? I think um, he is. Uh, yes, I think the answer to that question is yes. There are Republican senators. Johnny Isaacson is the chairman of the committee who's sort of running this. He's been he's Republican. a Republican, very uh, involved in sort of this uh, trying to uh, get reforms to the VA. He's not happy. He's telling people that there's not a lot of uh, the support. I think the, the, the phrase that one reporter has said uh, is very thin for Jackson. And it was thin going into, uh, as you say, what I described as a tumultuous day for, for Jackson. Um, and it really had nothing to do 
do with what has sort of has seemed to have blown up his nomination. Um, the, 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 red, the, the, the reticence and the sort of frustration with the White House uh, goes all the way back to the beginning of this nomination, which is, is this guy really, this, this well-liked uh, physician at the White House, is he really the right person to run the second largest department in the federal government and the one that is uh, just rife with problems and corruption um, and, that, and that all these other folks uh, who have tried to, to tame it have been un- unable to do over the last four or five years. Is anybody else uh, reminded of the Harriet Myers fiasco uh, that the, the president looks around as an important job and he just picks the person who happens to be standing next to him? Because, of course, uh, Ronnie Jackson had uh, had his no qualifications. So uh, clearly there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, punditry about the total lack of vetting, the sloppiness, um, the, uh, the the informality of the process. But I have a question about this. The stories that you're hearing now about his drinking and his behavior, including one story where somebody on a trip needed some medical assistance. They go to his room. He is so drunk they cannot wake him up. He's passed out. They have to take his medical supplies and get another doctor. Um, This apparently, as far as I can tell, and also, you know, walking up and down the uh, the aisles of uh, Air Force One, uh, handing out pills, handing out Ambien's uppers and downers, you know, to people who want to sleep or, or, or get up. Apparently some of this, though, happened during the Obama presidency. And I guess the question I have is how did he ever survive that? How how does being drunk and passed out um, not get you removed from that position? I mean, if the president of the United States needed your medical attention and you're the guy's too drunk to go, I would think that would be a firing offense. How does he survive that? And how does he get all the glowing recommendations from everybody else, both Republican and Democrat? Michael, do you have any insight into all of that? I mean, if these stories are true, it's amazing that he has the job that he has now, much less the VA secretaryship. Uh, absolutely. But uh, are you asking why the guy known as the Candyman who's passing out drugs to everybody seems to be, uh, <laughs> you know, popular within the White House? Um, and you're right. Going back to um, even back to the um, to the the end of the Bush administration, Jackson was there. Um, look, I mean, some of these stories, um, I think we should greet a little skeptically in terms of the, the characterization of them. But I think that the general thrust of them is, has not been really disputed by anybody who knows. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a problem. Um, but you also get the sense that Jackson was very popular and maybe not just because of passing out the Ambien, but uh, good natured. Um, you know, he, he uh, remember when he was nominated a couple of weeks ago for the VA position, you had people in the Obama White House, people like David Axelrod saying, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know if he's the, the, the guy for the job, but he's a great, great guy. So it's the, maybe it's the kind of thing you can, uh, you know, enough people were willing to sweep under the rug or overlook because he um, he was he, he was as popular as he was. But no, I think it, it certainly raises questions about his current employment. But again, it, it sort of glosses. It, it's almost sort of a distraction or a red herring to the, the bigger issue that, again, people like Johnny Isaacson have been concerned about from the beginning, which is, is this guy the right guy for the job uh, before we knew uh, about any of these other problems? Uh, Jim Swift, you are a veteran of the halls of Congress. So I want to ask you about the Mick Mulvaney story. Yeah. He's speaking to, and of course, Mick Mulvaney has all kinds of jobs, speaking to a, a, a bunch of bankers. And he says, we had a hierarchy, hierarchy in my office in Congress. If you're a lobbyist who never gave us money, I didn't talk to you. If you're a lobbyist who gave us money, I might talk to you. And people are going, whoa, okay, everybody knows that it works that way, but you're not supposed to say that in your out, you know, in your out loud voice. 
Um, give me your, your sense of is this scandalous that he said this or just what, what, what is your take? Because it certainly sounds like one of the swampier moments coming out of uh, out of Washington, D.C. In, in recent weeks. Sure. Uh, I, I think that, it, yes, of course, it's, it's scandalous that he said it. But the, the thing that's even worse, he, he, correct me if I'm wrong, he was talking to like a bunch of mortgage bankers and banker yeah. types and saying, well, you know, if you really want to affect change about getting rid of the BCFP, as he, he's now calling it, because it's been a very Luntzian move. Uh, Republicans like calling it the Bureau of Consumer uh, Financial protection because you got to put the bureaucracy first. Whereas you know the Obama administration calls it the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau. So the part about saying you just need to keep donating to Republicans to get these guys off your back, I think, was the even even the the, the more surprising part. Now, in, in I worked in a couple offices, and I I must say that in uh, it's not exactly the case that it always works that way in terms of. Uh, lobbying and, oh, well, you know, does this person uh, donate to it? Because as a congressional aide, um, you know, you, you can't really go look into FEC reports. You're going to be violating rules about doing a campaign work, so essentially, on, on government time uh, of doing it. Now, you know, the member and the chief of staff and the other, like, kind of people in the office that are actually, they're, accept, they're like three accepted positions that an office can designate for political work. I mean, they can't just, like, do campaign work out of outside of the office. But uh, in in my experience, I mean, I, I took, geez, probably thousands of meetings over my five years on the Hill, and uh, not once uh, did I ever go look up someone because they were a donor. I mean, I, I knew what my boss's priorities were. I knew what his positions are, and, uh, you know, people would come in, and if people's opinions aligned with my boss, that was great. It was good to get their information. If they didn't have positions that uh, were close to my bosses, I, I listened to what their positions were, constituents or not. I mean, we, you, you always try and meet with constituents, right? I mean, that that, that should the always... Actual, the actual voters you work for. Or, yeah, or, or corporations yeah. or, you know, nonprofits or, or people and entities that have interest an interest in your state or district. Um but no, no, never once did I look it up. And, you know, there were some people who would come in and say, you know, I, I am I am a big donor to John Kyle. And you just, you know, was my my boss in the Senate. And, you know, I would just say, well, you know, that's great, but I you, guess. But that does that doesn't change anything for the for these I, meetings. I'm, I'm, at least get, it didn't for me. Quote wrong. But remember what, what, what Michael Kinsley once said about a, uh, a, a gap in Washington where you inadvertently say something that is true. You <laughs> say it out loud. Uh, and that and that's a gap. Uh, you know, clearly some people are saying, look, um, you know, the, the the comments really do actually reflect um, this transactional mentality of Washington, D.C., particularly in the Trump era. And of course, you know, Trump himself has made it very clear. Remember when he said as a businessman and a very substantial donor to very important people, when you give, they do whatever the hell you want them to do as a businessman. I need that. And he never backed off. He said, yeah, I give to everybody. When they call, I give. And you know what? When I need something from them two years later, three years later, I call them. They are there for me, which, again, obviously is, you know, the this is the this is the this is the reality, right? This is the reality in Washington, D.C. I kind of wonder, though, in an administration in a, in a Washington that claims to be all about now draining the swamp, how this might actually play outside the swamp, Michael Warren. Well, I, yeah, I think you know the the appeal 
uh, of Donald Trump saying, you know, uh, these politicians, you know, I, I, I would I would buy, essentially buy them off was that, oh, he was telling it he was telling it like it is. And he was really sort of uh, explaining how it all works. Um, I don't know if that uh, that that transfers uh, to Mick Mulvaney. Um, look, do, do I think this is going to you know uh, hurt Mulvaney's standing within the administration? There's talk that he might even come in as the next uh, White House chief of staff uh, to succeed John Kelly. I don't think this is going to stop any of that, but I, I do think it, it it's um, it, it is as you say, a Kinsley and Gaff um, sort of revealing what uh, how a lot of people view uh, Washington, um, and uh, it, I don't know. It just it's a it's a weird thing for him to say, and um, in. It does reflect, though, in a way, the way that everybody sort of has become more Trumpian in the way that they they talk and the way they 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 act. Certainly within the White House, and I think um, more broadly within Washington, everybody's just Trumpier. Yeah, I I, I like the some of the the Twitter reaction. John Podora saying Mick Mulvaney has three roles. He's the OMB director. He runs the Consumer Protection Agency, and he's the monologuing villain in a Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie Haberman was more on target. She said this really is one of the hallmarks of the Trump era, but had mostly been just Trump doing it, saying the inside part out loud. It's spreading to the appointees. And then uh, Politico's uh, Timothy Noah says, I've never before seen a former member describe Congress so explicitly as an extortion racket. So there's a moment. Uh, Speaking of Congress, I want to talk about what happened in Arizona last night. Uh, Of course, uh, once again, a special election being analyzed absolutely to death. Uh, But this first, uh, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Mac Weldon. And their mission is simple, to make sure that all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. And it is. They start from scratch. They engineer their own fabric, making sure the design process was meticulous so you can count on the fit being the same each time. And the difference is in the details. And that's why they're so obsessive over every stitch and seam until they reach their definition of perfect. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping, and I, I think you're going to agree with that. These are going to be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. I don't have the hoodies, but I have most of the other stuff, and it is absolutely outstanding. So here's a special offer for listeners to, of The Daily Standard. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code STANDARD at checkout. That's MacWeldon.com and use promo code STANDARD at checkout for 20% off. All right, the Republicans win in Arizona last night, but almost nobody is touting this as good news for Republicans. Who wants to uh, take a crack at this? Yeah, I think it's it's another example of what we've been seeing through all these special elections um, uh, throughout the last year or so, which is that Republicans are underperforming. Sometimes they lose, um, sometimes they win, but they don't win by as much as they ought to. And this was a, a district that Trump won by something like uh, 20 points. Um, and, uh, and, and the Republican candidate, uh, Lesko, um, doesn't, didn't seem to have any sort of big problems or big issues. She seems sort of like a run of the mill, normal Arizona Republican. She, uh, only won by a few, a handful of points. It was something like a 16 point drop. Um, 16 points. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a bad. data point. Yes. It? And I think, and I think it re- sort of reflects, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the dynamics that we're heading into uh, into November, which is a very motivated Democratic base, a sort of demotivated, uninterested uh, Republican base. And that's why you're seeing um, these races that are 
much closer, even if a Republican wins. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot of smart analysts, both of sort of the House and Senate uh, uh, races and also Arizona. Of course, our own David Byler um, has been writing about this, but also Arizona experts who say, you know, the one person who's looking at this uh, election, this special election last night and thinking um, this is great is uh, Kristen Cinema, the uh, likely Democratic mm-hmm. nominee for Senate in Arizona for Jeff Flake's seat. Uh, she's got to be looking at those numbers, the, how well the Democrat did in a re- very Republican district and thinking, aha, now that's th- th- this is a, an environment or uh, where I can maybe uh, uh, really win in, in what was supposed to be a, a deep red state of Arizona. Yeah, speaking of uh, of Senate races, the one seat that that at the beginning of the year I thought that Republicans had a really good chance of picking up was in West Virginia, although who, who knows? Um, except there's all this controversy about one of the leading Republican candidates, who's a guy named Don Blankenship, who actually was a former you know coal baron who went to jail, went to prison uh, for. Uh, uh, uns- unsafe conditions. Uh, Jim Swift, you you were tweeting out about the, the this story. He gives an interview um, to was a local radio station where he goes after he goes after Mitch McConnell's wife Elaine Chow. Yes, uh, in which he uh, insinuated that uh, Elaine Chow's father uh, was a rich China person. A China person. Uh, you know, the China person is not the issue here, dude, uh, to quote the Big Lebowski. Um, you know, but at least very inner, Sonny Bunch joked on Twitter that, you know, at least it was, you know, kind of a, a gender neutral uh, slur uh, if, 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 if you could find the uh, sunshine through the clouds. But yeah, Blanken, uh, Blankenship ran Massey Energy and um, his long, even before his prison uh, sentence was kind of regarded as a, a, a loose cannon. And, um, you know, coal, coal, of course, is still very important to West Virginians. Uh, but, you know, coal is uh, largely gutted in the Obama administration. And, you know, even even with the efforts of the Trump administration is, is not making a huge resurgence. And, uh, you know, I, I, I suspect, you know, he's got a good coal base there among maybe the rank and file. But um, he... he <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to do to make a broader appeal. Uh, Charlie Blinkenship yeah. is like the Republican Party's worst nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and he's he's closer than I think a lot of people thought he would be because um, the other two candidates who are who are uh, running for this seat, um, Evan Jenkins and Patrick Morrissey, are killing each other. They're sort of more mainstream West Virginia style Republicans, but Republicans. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Blinkenship has um, essentially the uh, uh, the death of very many coal miners. Um, a lot of people in the state blame him for that i would uh, think that would be a negative yeah i don't know That's i mean me. j- yeah exactly yeah. but you know it's a new politics it's a new age for our <laughs> politics charlie um but uh, look I, I think joe manchin you're right to think that he is um could be the most vulnerable it's such a trump state it's such a republican state and and manchin has not necessarily been the um reliable de- you know reliable democrat for trump in the senate that people thought he would be um and and that makes it sort of all the more remarkable that he's he's in a better position than anybody would have thought but i do have to say having um seen uh, a mansion on the trail um back uh, when he was first running for for this seat um i guess gosh that was like back in 2010 um uh, when he was governor and he was running for uh the seat that had been vacated um 
he he's very good on the stump. He he understands West Virginia. He played football at West Virginia University. He's um, he's he's a Democrat in a state where there are still a lot of Democrats, even if they vote Republican at the federal level. Um, and 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 he's he, he's better positioned maybe than some of these other Trump state Democrats. Um, and 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 it has to do with his own skills and also the competition that he's drawing. An Appalachian yes. Claire McCaskill, maybe, perhaps. Actually, that's a very, very good analysis. Uh, you know, I, everywhere I go, people are you know always ask things like, "Well, you know, is it possible the Democrats could blow this? I mean, is the wave so big the Democrats cannot uh, blow it?" Um, and particularly talking about 2020. And my response is, look, the Democrats have shown a world-class uh, ability to blow it. I mean, obviously the Republicans might in in West Virginia, but I was reading the story uh, in the in the Standard about Bernie Sanders' latest idea that uh, Sanders is proposing a plan for the feds to provide a job to every American who wants or needs one. Um, Obviously, a massive trillion dollar, everybody gets a job. And what surprised me most about the story was, you know, Tim Kaine from Virginia, who's always struck me as a sort of reasonable centrist Democrat, says, I'm intrigued by the notion. So are we seeing the Democrats lurching hard left, or is this just sort of posturing at this point? Look, uh, a a large number of Democratic primary voters in 2016 voted for Bernie Sanders. He almost took the nomination away from Hillary Clinton. Um, this is a party that is increasingly um, looking favorably on socialist ideas and far far left ideas. And it's it's a little weird because we're in a position now that uh, sort of economically we're better off than than we were, say, you know, eight, 10 years ago um, when this kind of idea might have had a lot more purchase. And and frankly, Bernie Sanders wasn't wasn't talking about it. I think the politics of this um, in many ways uh, mirror what's happened on, on the right uh, and within the Republican Party, which is uh, the parties are going to their extremes. And even, you know, the uh, the, the husband of uh, of a uh, of a Republican, uh, of the, the husband of a daughter of a Republican governor governor of Virginia. That was always Tim Kaine's ability to say he was sort of yeah. centrist and bipartisan. Even he's going far left. You're hearing all of these uh, 2020 wannabe candidates sort of trying to outdo each other. Um, it's the nature of the Democratic Party it, now. It just seems so, it seems so tone deaf because, and I, I, of course I'm not speaking for the industrial Midwest, but I don't think that there is a, there's economic anxiety, but I don't think there's a tremendous appetite for a massive government make work program. So I, I can imagine this would appeal to people in, you know, academic conference rooms or, you know, various other liberal elites. But, you know, do they honestly believe that this is going to get win back blue collar voters from Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, I, I, Iowa, Minnesota? I don't think that's the, that's the goal here. I mean, you're, you're hit you hit kind of on the on the point there with these sort of liberal academics. But. Um, you know, you're thinking about college students um, or, or just out of college students um, who are much more left leaning than, than past generations have been at that age. Um, and they're f- sort of forming. Um, you were, we remember the life of Julia uh, sort of idea yes. from the Obama campaign in 2012. I mean, this is something that I think that. Republicans and conservatives and sort of right of center folks think, um, oh, well, this is just, you know, clearly socialism lost the Cold War. We won that argument on these ideas. But I I don't think that that is 
that is clear. And I think there is a yeah. there is an area for purchase. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, these ideas have purchase among people who um, who are sort of looking for uh, answers and and finding what we might think are insufficient or bad ideas. Um, but they're saying, well, at least that's a solution to um, a, a, it's a more problem. Like signaling, yeah, yeah. Signaling. No, I I'm, think so. I'm, I'm I'm the most progressive. I, I even though they don't really play in the real world. Yeah, because how do you pay for it? They don't even—they don't even have a pay for it yet. I mean, I don't even think Republicans care about how they pay for it. Okay, uh, one last comment. Uh, is running out of time. Who wants to comment on what the hell is going on with Rand Paul? Anybody uh, want to take the Rand Paul thing? What well, I mean uh, is, who, who is it really become one of the least constructive, most obnoxious members of the Senate, and that's saying a hell of a lot. Is there? Know? Is there? Uh, I mean, you're, you act as if there's been a change or something different in, in Rand Paul. I mean. He, he's much more of his father's son than than he yeah. claimed uh, when he was running for for office, and and that I think people people thought he would be. Um, he is um, a kind of a cranky libertarian, and that's that's you know so you're born a cranky libertarian, you'll die a cranky libertarian. But he's uh, also in, in in the editorial I thought, which again is in the Standard yesterday. Uh, you know, he's also an exhibitionist. I mean, he is he. It's not just that he's if he's libertarian, that's fine. I, I can live with that. It's just that his 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 politics is just sometimes incoherent. This whole thing, this game that he played with Pompeo, if right. he's going to vote against Pompeo on 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 principle, fine. That's that's what the Rands do, right? But his but principle just, his principle has changed. It used to be that yes. the president gets to pick his person. Yeah, that's which is why he voted for John Kerry, right? And well, then you have this we- weird thing where he says that he talked to Pompeo and got a commitment from Pompeo that he supported the immediate withdrawal from Afghanistan, which I'm sorry, um, you know, I, sell me a bridge somewhere, sell me some swampland. Does well, anyone honestly believe that Pompeo told Rand Paul that? No, he and he he didn't. Or if he did, he sort of had his fingers crossed behind his back, you know, or or something like that. Like I think. This is everybody has been in in the in the Republican Party in Washington is in various degrees and and and, and intensities has sort of been captured um, by uh, by their by their party and the fact that um, you, you do have to wonder what sort of things uh, the White House and Trump was doing I haven't been able to quite figure that out yet uh, to sort of twist Rand's arm and I think. He was trying to take Who a principled knows. stand, uh, but in the end, you know, he he sort of knows where the bread is buttered in Washington, and, and it's uh, and it's via uh, the Trump White House, and you don't want to you don't want to displease the president. Yeah, well, I'm going to throw the bullshit flag on uh, Rand Paul on that one, uh, gentlemen. Thank you so so much for joining. And remember, you can sign up for the Weekly Standard Midwest Summit in Milwaukee Monday morning. And uh, Michael Warren will be joining us. And uh, one of the things I'm going to talk with uh, Governor Scott Walker about is he's one of the Republicans who's standing up in a very, very dramatic way saying, hey, guys, uh, we are facing a blue wave. And I want to talk to him about about how bad he thinks it is and how he intends to survive uh, what's happening around uh, the the country. Um, We'll be back uh, tomorrow again. I'm Charlie Sykes.